0: Well, I'm glad you guys are here on a cold morning, threatening of ice and snow. I, uh, I read a post from a pastor yesterday that he was reviewing his notes for his small group Bible study, a.k.a. a cold wintry morning on in the in the Ozarks. And so they actually are in Bolivar, and so they canceled, I guess, because Bolivar got hit quite a bit harder. But we have someone here from Bolivar this morning, and I just want to uh, point that out. So thanks for showing up and, and braving the streets for us. Or for this, uh, anyway. So here we are. We're in the midst of a series, our seven-part series on the signs that Jesus demonstrated through the Book of John, and John recorded for us and, and showed us our Messiah. The, uh, the 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 topic today, I, I guess, really the I think I think the thing that Jesus really wanted us to see in this in this particular sign that we're going to study today was that in Him we have enough. And that word enough, I mean, if you just think about it, 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 it sounds like, hey, that's, that's a good strong word, enough. You know, I mean, I have enough. And it's great to sit here and say that in the midst of this context. I have enough. I'm satisfied. But the reality is in our culture and in our context, we struggle with satisfaction. I mean, we we really struggle with satisfaction, and and truly at the heart of many of our struggles, at the heart of many of the, the difficulties we face is a lack of satisfaction, a lack of recognizing we have enough. Now, you can see this in the lives of people who have plenty, and you can see this in the lives of people who have very little. I mean, it's demonstrated in in the tabloids every week as and in the gossip magazines as we look at people who have lots of stuff and who are followed by the masses of our pop culture, but yet their lives seem to be in such disarray and there's stories of people who who had all of their hopes and dreams tied up in in certain things like money and finances who through the 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 financial crisis that our country has gone through they, they they, they, they felt let down. They found themselves let down. They committed suicide, and they, and they did things that were horrific to themselves because they were so let down. There's, there's the, the other side of the perspective is that, you know, people who have very little, you might think, well, they've just learned to be satisfied. But they don't. I mean, debt runs at an amazing rate in our country because people want so much so we live beyond our means and we and we 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 uh apply for credit cards and we build debt to to try and and appease ourselves with stuff and when that thing lets us down when that stuff lets us down we move on to something else and i guess from your perspective i guess maybe if your job depends on customers coming in and spending money or your your vocation requires you to depend on customers to buy from you which really is the driving force of our economy, imagine what would happen if people quit spending and quit desiring more. Imagine what would happen in our economy if all of a sudden we began to live like we really had enough. It would drastically change it. It drastically change everything we do in our life. I mean, if suddenly we were satisfied with the homes we live in, Scott would have to look for a new job. You'd have to look for something else. I mean, if suddenly, it's not that no one would buy homes, but they wouldn't sell at the rate they have for years and years. I mean, certainly there's been a drastic decline. But I mean, what would happen if suddenly we didn't have to have every new gadget? This is one of my areas of weakness. All the gadgets that come out, I see them and I just want them. I mean, I love gadgets and the things that they do for us. You know, I love that. What happens if suddenly we just recognize that Got enough, I don't, I don't need that. Well, Sony wouldn't be as popular a company as it is. Best Buy wouldn't have as big a store as it does, wouldn't keep nearly as much on the shelves as it does. It probably wouldn't find one in as many cities, cities as we do. And the reality is, is that I think what Jesus wants us to learn and the reason he performed this particular miracle that we're going to study today is that he wanted us to find satisfaction. He wanted us to be fulfilled. He wanted us to to recognize that we have enough. So, if you have your Bibles, John chapter six, we're going to be reading verses one through fifteen. If you don't have your Bibles, the verses will be on the screen. And we also, if you have the U Version Live app, there is a live event right now um, that you can follow along the notes with um, on the U Version Bible app. Uh, and so that's available for you as well. But let's just read the verses and see what uh, see what we have. What Jesus wants us to see after this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberius, and a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that Jesus was doing on the sick. Now I want to stop right there. This is a, really a period of time has passed since the last. We, we think it's probably six months to a year since the last sign we studied last week, when when Jesus went in and healed the um, the man that was lame. About six months to a year since that last event. And this crowd had begun to follow him. And remember, last week I told you that one of the things that Jesus was known for was that he heals people. This was a calling card of Jesus, was that he heals. And because of that, he developed this large following. I mean, Jesus really had maybe what would have been considered one of the biggest megachurches ever in his time. I mean, John the Baptist had a pretty big megachurch first, but then as those people began to recognize and hear John's testimony that Jesus was the one... These people began to leave John the Baptist and began to follow Jesus. And that that following grew because they saw the power. They saw Jesus performing signs on the sick. And so here he is going around places, and he's got this huge following. And Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover feast of the Jews was at hand. and Lifting up his eyes then and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, here's this question, this this concern, and Jesus just, have the people sit down. And now there was much grass in that place, so the men sat down, about 5,000 in number. Now, I'm I'm just going to throw in a, a detail from another gospel. This miracle is in all four of the gospels. It's the only miracle that Jesus performed, other than his resurrection, that is in all four of the gospels. It's pretty important, apparently. Apparently, God wanted us to learn something from it. But in Matthew, it points out that it's not just men. But there's women and children there. They only counted the men, so there's 5,000 men. We don't know how many women and children there are. There's estimates that go upwards of twenty, 25,000. I'm just going to say for the sake of argument today, let's deal with this in a number and a consider 10,000. Let's just double it. I think that's a very conservative estimate. Just, but, but I want you to have that in your mind, that there's likely 10,000 people in this place. And I don't know what that crowd in your mind looks like. I don't know how you're going to... to to imagine the perspective of 10,000 people, but it's not going to fit in a room like this. It's not going to fit in our back lot. You know, we got three point whatever acres here. We have almost four acres. It's not going to fit here. It's a big, wide open area. Jesus is up on an elevated place looking down. He says, have them sit down. Then Jesus took the loaves. And when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. And so also the fish. As much as they wanted. Hear that again. As much as they wanted. There wasn't somebody that was like, man, I really wish I had gotten that last piece of pizza. It wasn't like he didn't give enough. As much as they wanted. And when the disciples had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, gather up the leftover fragments that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up and filled the 12 baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. And when the people saw the sign that he had done, this, they said, this is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. Now, <clears throat> I, I I think there's really a lot of lessons that we could focus on in this. I mean, we could really draw in details from the other four Gospels, but, but the reality is, is that in the midst of John, John is, is, is sharing these things. He tells us that he is giving us these stories and, and bringing these, these uh, recollections of these miracles simply so that we can know and believe in Christ. That's the whole purpose for which he wrote his letter. And so every week, we're coming to these, these seven miracles, and we're asking the question, what does this tell us about Jesus? And then what does that mean for us? What does it say about Jesus? And, and the first thing I want you to see is that Jesus requested the impossible. I, I don't know of anybody else that is able to make a request like this. Had, had, had my boss... When I was working out at the airport, had my boss come to me and said, I want you to do this impossible task. And there was times I felt like he was asking for too much. But I mean, I want you to recognize this is an impossible task. The whole first part of the passage is is really built on or or focused on developing how big this is. I just think about it. Imagine how much food it would take to feed, for the sake of argument, 10,000 people. 10,000 people. Have you ever ever, um, organized or, or got together a meal for maybe more than 20 or 30? The details get pretty intense. I mean, it starts to, it's like the number of people that are bringing food or or, or, or the amount of food you need, or the, the condiments and all the stuff that goes along with it, the organization of it. This is this is huge. And here Jesus is with these twelve guys, looking out across this sea of people. Where are we going to get the food for them? I mean, just to put this in terms, our terms today. I, I, I imagine, imagine if Jesus came and said. Hey, how are we going to feed these people to us? You've got 10,000 people, and I want you to feed them. Well, one of the easiest ways to feed a large group is order some pizza, right? And there's always the problem. You always run into the problem. How many people does a large pizza feed? So I did a little research on that. There's actually an engineer who has developed a formula to determine how much pizza feeds or how much one large pizza will feed in his family. And if they're going to have guests, he breaks it out, and he's like, okay, here's my here. I'm going to fill in the numbers. I was like, you've got to be kidding me. This guy's got too much time on his hands. But, you know, he's an engineer. He's highly educated. So I believe that he's probably right. And he's got it figured out that a, a large pizza can feed three people, maybe four. So here you go. If you've got 10,000 people and you've got... Three people per pizza. How many, how many pizzas is that? Do you know? Mathematicians, I've got the number here. That's 3,333. Oh, just a little bit over that. I heard somebody say it. I'll give you kudos for that. <laughs> she doesn't want them. But the reality is, is that that's a lot of pizzas. Have, have you ever seen a stack of 3,333 pizzas? No. Oh, that's too many pizzas. I mean, there's not, we don't order that don't do that. Well, maybe pizza's not the way to go. Maybe that's too expensive. Maybe we want fast and cheap. So we decide to go to McDonald's and we just want a cheeseburger and French fries and a soda for each one of them. Well, off their dollar menu, you can get a cheeseburger, a small fry and a soda. So you figure $3 per person, not including tax. That's $30,000. You throw tax in there at 6%, 6.75 or whatever it is today. It's, a, it's an, uh, an astronomical number. Some of you don't even make enough money to do that in a year. The number that Philip brings up, the 200 denarii, that's 80, or, or I'm sorry, eight months worth of wages in that day. Eight months worth of wages. You're going to give up to make sure that these people are fed. That's huge. I I want you to see this is impossible. They can't do it. And the the other option that's given, Andrew's like, hey, I got this boy with some loaves of bread. And and you need to understand, these aren't loaves of bread like you go and get Iron Kids bread at the store. These are poor man's loaves. They probably fit in the palm of your hand. I'd probably want two or three of them if that's all I was eating. Maybe four. I didn't get looking like this going easy on it. But the reality is that it's small and it's some fish. Hey, there's this kid. He's got this bread and this fish, but really, what is how in the world is that going to meet the need? So so Jesus, he requested the impossible from his people. But the second part of that second part of that that I want you to see is not just the impossibility. I want you to see the source of the request. We don't think about this a lot. But who made this request? Who had the expectation that the people would be fed? Jesus did. You know, in all of the, all of the signs we've studied so far, this is the first time we see Jesus initiate the problem. When, when the wine, or when the, when, the, when the wedding ran out of wine, that wasn't Jesus doing that. That was, that was just an issue, a social concern. And his mom brings Jesus the problem. When the, 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 the royal official, his son is sick, he, he hears about Jesus and he runs to Jesus and he brings the problem to Jesus. The guy that Jesus healed that had been lame for 38 years, the sign we studied last week, that guy was already sick and had been for 38 years when Jesus came on the scene. Jesus just shows up and initiates the the miracle. But in this instance, in this instance, the issue, the impossibility, the the problem that these disciples faced, this dilemma that they were that, that was staring them in the eyes, was initiated by Jesus. Wait, I thought Jesus was supposed to take our problems away. I thought my life was supposed to be all roses and dandelions and flower beds and weed free. I thought this Christian walk was supposed to bring peace and joy and satisfaction. And the reality is there's a there's a line of thinking that has invaded our Christian culture even even in places where we don't depend on the health and wealth philosophy. It has to be dealt with. It has to be understood that but the reality is is that we have struggles in the Christian life. We know that the Christian life contains struggles. But have you ever thought that those come at the hand of Jesus, that he's the one that causes them? Uh, see. We see it happening right here. In this passage, we see Jesus establishing a problem for his disciples. And it's not just the problem he's establishing. I want you to notice this. The disciples wouldn't have even been concerned about it had Jesus not brought it up. But Jesus almost expects, he he puts some pressure on his disciples and he looks at them and he says, "Hey, where are we going to get food for them? How are we going to do this? Expecting something from them. In in some way, looking to them and seeing how they're going to re- respond, and, and this is this is really interesting. I mean, if you stop and you think about this, he he knew. It says it tells us in the passage, he knew what he was going to do already. He already had it in mind. He was just giving a test. And these, these disciples, they'd seen Jesus turn the water to wine. They'd walked with Jesus probably at least a year, maybe two years by this point. And they'd seen the sick heal. They'd seen the blind given sight. They had seen the lame walk. They had seen the power. What did they do? As soon as they felt that pressure, what did they do? They started trying to come up with answers on their own. See, the reality is that Jesus wasn't, he, he wasn't just giving this pressure. He, he wasn't just, just um, 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 uh, laying this on them in some way just simply to, to give them pressure or, or to, to um, make them feel the weight. There was purpose behind it. He wanted them to learn to follow him, to trust in him alone, to see the impossibility and immediately turn to him and to not depend on their own devices. And so as he tests his followers, then he begins to teach his followers. And he tells them, have them sit down on the grass. And he takes that bread. And I don't know, I, I, I just, I, I struggle with picturing this in my mind. But he breaks it. He sets a piece aside and he breaks it and he sets a piece aside and he breaks it and he sets a piece aside and he breaks it and he sets a piece aside and he's not even done with the first loaf yet. Now, I don't know at what point Jesus decides to stop breaking this one and begins to break a second one. And when he's done plenty of bread and enough bread to go around, he begins to break fish. He's a little fish. He breaks and he sets it aside, breaks and he sets it aside and he breaks it and he sets it aside and he doesn't run out until there's more than enough. You see, He tested His disciples in this moment, but but, but He taught them also. You see, Jesus is able to do the impossible. Jesus is, is able to do what He calls us to do. He's going to equip us for what He calls us to. But I think also, I think He wants us to see that Jesus isn't as interested in what feels good to, to you and me as is or as he is and what is good for you and me. Imagine this. Here are the disciples. Here they are. Oh, gosh, this is huge. We can't do this. We don't have any means of this. There's not enough stores in the area. There's not enough money in our bag. There's not enough food around. How are we going to do this? Have you ever felt the pressure of not being able to measure up? of not being able to complete some task you've been given? It doesn't feel real good. I don't think Jesus is interested in, as interested in what feels good to you as he is in what is good for you. See, the reality is if Jesus had never done this with these disciples in this moment, they wouldn't have learned a lesson to quit depending on themselves. And the reality is they probably didn't learn it completely here either. But certainly they began to see the application of it. Certainly they began to see the power of Christ. Certainly they began to recognize that they could lean on Him, that they could turn to Him, that they could trust Jesus, that He wasn't going to lead them into something that they couldn't do. I think think He also wanted wanted them to see that He's not as interested in, in our momentary happiness as he is in our holiness. Sure, Jesus wants you and me. He wants his followers to be happy. He told us that he came that we might have life and have it abundantly. He wants our joy. But he doesn't want just happiness for a moment. He wants your your, your eternal happiness. He wants you to to experience an extreme happiness. He wants you to sense and and find this great satisfaction that that bubbles up inside of you as you find Him. He wants you to be happy. But He knows that that's only going to happen as He makes you holy. You see, the reality is is that the, the path to happiness in this life The path to happiness and this abundant life that Christ calls us to is a process by which He peels away the old flesh, that dead man that's so riddled with the sin nature that he can bear the new flesh. And that's a painful process at times. It's difficult to face. It induces struggle. It, it causes us to endure. And it's for, for that reason that many of the passages that in, in, in the Scriptures call us to commitment and perseverance. Because He knows that as He makes you holy, you'll also be made happy. You'll find a joy that's real and deep and satisfying. Well, the the, the thing is, is that not only did Jesus request the impossible, not only did he look at these disciples and make a request that that he knew they couldn't come up with the answer for. But when the people responded to this miracle, Jesus rejected that response. They saw Jesus do this miracle. They saw him breaking the bread passing it out and they saw him breaking the fish and just going on and on and they saw it and they immediately it says those that were there the 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 people that were there saw it and knew that it was a sign they knew that there was something bigger going on than just a work of power they knew that it represented something else so immediately they're like hey this is the prophet that we've been waiting for the Jews in their history, back if you, if you go all the way back into Deuteronomy, there was a promise of a prophet that would be raised up, that would be like Moses. So since the time that they'd been in the desert, they had been waiting for this prophet to come from God. And I don't know about you, but I mean, I don't immediately jump from breaking bread and fish to prophet. Man of God, man of power prophet i mean maybe if i heard him say you know something's going to happen tomorrow and it happened or maybe maybe if i heard some great word of truth from him that 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 explained it all maybe maybe then prophet you know one who proclaims the truths of god maybe then prophet but they, but, but they knew this is the prophet the one we've been expecting now, I want you to think about it. This was Passover season. It tells us in the passage that the Passover was at hand. So on their minds already, they were already thinking in this way. They were thinking in terms of their deliverance and then their heritage. And they were thinking back to the time where bread was given to them from heaven and a miraculous provision of, of sustenance through bread was given to them. And here this man is, breaking bread, passing it out. And so at least from their perspective, from their, from their understanding, I, th- I think it's much easier to make the leap from breaking bread to prophet. But that's who they realized he was. And certainly Jesus is that prophet. He is the fulfillment of that prophecy. He is the prophet that was to come. But certainly Jesus is the king. And they were going to make him king. In fact, the scriptures teach us that he's king of kings and Lord of lords. He's, he's king over all kings. He, he, every king that's ever existed only exists because he's allowed it or caused it. He's the king of kings. Well, why wouldn't he accept it? Why, why did he reject it? Jesus rejected it. In fact, it says that he withdrew from them. And, and, and I think the reason is, is that Jesus is less interested in our plans for Him than in His plans for us. You see, these these people, these Jews, they had ideas. He's the prophet. He's going to deliver us. Our time has come. We no longer have to deal with Rome. We just need a king who will lead us and unite us. And we get out from under this oppression. We get to be our own people. We We get to do our own thing. Here's the prophet. Let's make him king. And they weren't going to ask Jesus. I mean, it says they were coming to take him by force. Does that make sense? I mean, think about it. Here's a man with power that's obviously from God. And instead of asking him, hey, what's the next step? What do we do now? They decide for him what should be done. they get up to take him by force. Jesus isn't interested in their plan for him. He he has no desire to live up to their expectations. He he doesn't need their approval. He's living with an eternal perspective. He's living within a divine plan. And I want you to think about this. We're not that much different than the Jews. Oh, we don't go to Jesus and say, you're going to be our king and you're going to be our king the way we want you to because we don't think in terms like that. But we do oftentimes go and devise our own plans and build our own kingdoms and then just expect God to bless them because we decided to do it. Well, I'm I'm God's people. He's not going to leave me hanging. I'm going to do what I want to do and then trust that he's going to clean up the mess, make it all right. And I'm not saying that he doesn't clean up our messes. He certainly does. If if, if my life was left to me, ah, it's a mess. The consequences of my decisions, I I still deal with them even today. So I don't want you to hear me saying he doesn't clean up our messes, but we have no right to go to him and say, hey, look at what I've done. I just need you to make it okay. I expect you to accept what I've done and bless it. This is totally backwards. He's God. We're the creation. We're his people. Jesus is king. He's our ruler. He's the one with authority. We're to be under him. He's way less interested in our plans for him and how we expect him to show up in our lives and what we expect him to do in our lives than he is in the plans he has for each of us. See, Jesus is the ruler. He had every right to stand there and be king. He certainly was. But you realize, do you, do you recognize what would have happened if he would have in that moment allowed them to take him by force so that, so that, that he could be made king? It would have short-circuited, short-circuited the entire mission that God had sent him on. He might as well have uh, uh, submitted to the devil as he faced him in the desert and was tempted to take authority from him. He might as well have done it because it wouldn't have been any different. God had a plan for Jesus Christ. And if he was not going to follow that plan, there was no plan worth following. The reality is that's the same for you and for me. God has a plan for his people. And if we're not willing to follow that plan, there's no other plan worth following. They all fall short. They all lead us astray. They all cause a mess. They all leave us wanting. So Jesus, he 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 uh he rejects the people and their response. He requested this impossible feat. And Jesus revealed himself to be the source of all satisfaction. Now in these verses, in this passage, in this miracle, you can see it. It, it can be seen as if we stop and think about it. He, he was the one that was the answer to the dilemma that the disciples faced. He was the one that filled the bellies of the crowd. He was the one that made happen what was supposed to happen. He was the one that demonstrated power. He was the one that came through in a pinch. He was the one that, that did what no one else could have done. But there was so much more that Jesus wanted them to see. There was so much more. That he wanted them to understand in this moment. And it's pretty interesting to me because in, in the moment when when he withdrew, when he pulled back from them, that just encouraged them more to find him. It's all of a sudden like they had paparazzi around looking for Jesus and checking out the number of the boats on the shore and figuring out where he went to so that the next day when they noticed that Jesus wasn't around, his disciples were gone, but but they knew Jesus didn't get in the boat with the disciples. They were all confused and flustered and and they had to go find Jesus. So they jump in a bunch of boats. And they cross this sea, and the next day this crowd that had been fed shows up wanting to see Jesus. And it sounds really noble at first till Jesus kind of confronts them with their motive. Hey, you're here just because you've got your bellies full. And he, and he goes into this teaching that explains this, this miracle, that teaches them these deep abiding lessons. And see, I think we can sum, sum it up in this one verse. John 6.35, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. You see, the reality is this, is that that day, that morning, when, or that, that moment when Jesus said, how are we going to feed all these people? Where are we going to get this food? The disciples began to struggle because they didn't look to Jesus. They didn't trust in Jesus. And The source of our struggles, we struggle with satisfaction, with contentment, with this sense of peace and having enough, not because we need more. We got too much. We don't struggle with satisfaction because we need more. We struggle with satisfaction because we don't feast on Jesus. We do not feast on Him, and we want to fill our lives in that space in our life that's only ever going to be filled by Him. With everything but Him, it's a difficult lesson to learn. I, I struggle with it. You you likely struggle with it. But it's one. It, 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 it's difficult. I know it's difficult, and it's going to take time. But God's promise in this passage. In all of Scripture, in fact, Psalm 37, 4 says, Delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. Now, a lot of times that, that passage or that verse gets thrown onto these, onto these statements that make it sound like you're going to get whatever you want. But you cannot have the second half of that verse if you don't first understand the first half of that verse. Delight yourself in the Lord. Delight yourself in the Lord, and you will have the desires of your heart. When the Lord, when Jesus, when God is the thing that you desire most, you won't be let down. He promises us in, in this miracle that we've read, in, in, in all of Scripture, and in His Son, Jesus Christ. I mean, if He gave us His Son, what wouldn't He give us? The reality is, is our struggle is not because we need more, but because we don't feast on Jesus. He knows that Jesus is the only source we can go to to find this kind of satisfaction, to find enough. Jesus alone satisfies. Jesus alone satisfies. He alone satisfies our hunger. I I think in this this miracle, we see that Jesus cares for our physical needs. I I think we see that he cares what's going on in our life. And he wants the absolute best for us. But that doesn't start in finding all the answers here first. It starts with Him. Jesus alone satisfies our deepest needs. I mean, there's there's needs. There's real deep needs in life. One of our deepest needs, most of us don't recognize it. Most of creation doesn't recognize it. Our deepest need is to have a relationship with our Creator. Apart from that relationship with our Creator, we are really lost. And Jesus alone can satisfy that deepest need. A, a, a deep need that we deal with in, in our culture, is, I, actually, I think it's worldwide, is that we want to be accepted. How many of you just like going around and not being liked? You want to belong, you want to be accepted. You want somebody to pat you on the back and say, Good job, you want approval, you want your life to mean something. You want to have purpose. You want it to be bigger than yourself. But Jesus alone satisfies these deepest needs. But you'll never find them satisfied if you start somewhere other than Jesus. Jesus alone satisfies our souls. When we get this right, the other things will begin to fall in place. When we quit looking for more stuff, to satisfy us, and more things to fill us, and more areas of our life to improve before we begin to feast on Jesus. All of these other peripheral issues begin to be less important to us. They begin to mean less. He alone will satisfy our souls. So I just want to close today's message in this way I don't want to say hey go feast on Jesus and then leave you wondering how you do it how do you feast on Jesus Oh, I could go read the Bible more I can pray more I can do this and that more I can and those are good things I hope you go do them those great things but I think that even in this passage Jesus shows us that that's still not the first thing John six twenty nine. Jesus answered them. They were the, the, the Jews were wondering, what do we do? He says, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. Do you, you want to find satisfaction for your hunger, for your deep needs, for your soul? Do you want to find this, 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 this satisfaction that, that gives you contentment? Don't start with all the stuff you can do. Believe in Jesus every day wake up knowing that that's the place you start my days nothing apart from him and i trust in him to make it something my life apart from him is nothing but because of him is something i trust in him to provide my needs i trust in him to bring me to the place where purpose is revealed i trust in him to fulfill the things he's called me to See, the reality is is that to be satisfied in Christ is not necessarily to do more, but to trust more and to challenge our lives with this truth. There's nothing we can do apart from Him that will bring that satisfaction. And then to begin to look at all the things we trust in apart from Him. And what are they? maybe there're things that are tangible like money material goods in your house sex maybe maybe it's less tangible maybe it's like power or status a little less little less physical but but very very tempting for some people maybe it's things like knowledge or health or family maybe just maybe you recognize that there is something in your life that you are pursuing. If I just had this, I'd have it all. It's going to leave you wanting. It's going to let you down. But Jesus will satisfy you. He says, trust in me. Believe in him who was sent by God the Father. Trust in me recognize the lie turn from the lie trust in jesus let's pray oh father we recognize that we don't deserve you that we don't often walk as we trust you we like the disciples oftentimes find ourselves leaning on our own understanding believing that that we don't have anything to offer thinking of ourselves as less because we don't walk in deep abiding faith in what you've done through your son jesus christ and god i recognize i and 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 god i just would ask that you'd help us to recognize that our strength of our faith doesn't, it, it doesn't save us. But certainly the one our faith is placed in does. And I would just help, I ask you to help us grow in faith today, God. So that we might be satisfied as you long for us to be satisfied, so that we might have enough in Jesus. Father, I just would pray that in this moment, you give us opportunity to see the, the things that we turn to most often and the, that we think will help us better and that will make us happy. God, help us see them. Help, uh, help us Help us identify them, that we might apply the gospel to them and see that they fail and leave us empty, that we might see the fullness and the beauty of our Savior Jesus Christ. It's all these things I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.